church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. From the name of the Father, who created this world and the Son, who redeemed my soul and the Spirit, who is making me whole on Holy Trinity throughout eternity. Out of the Father, who created this world and the Son, who redeemed my soul and the Spirit, who is making me whole on Holy Trinity throughout eternity. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we profess on our lips, on our tongue. It makes the demons what we talk in Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Heaven and Earth, and the Father up in Heaven and the Spirit sent to Earth. This is the Holy Trinity throughout eternity, the Holy Trinity in all His Majesty. So we begin in this record like you know we should, with the blessings of the Trinity in your neighborhood. When there's only one And they fail to understand Father, Spirit, Son And so I take you to the truth Which is the whole church And you can't deny that If you believe in the Son Yeah, God from God Baby, light from light A true God from true God Hola, buenos dias, Skatal. Welcome back to Behold the Man I'm your host, Joe McLean That intro song is In the Name of the Father By the Thirsting From the 2008 Champions of the Lamb album. You can find a link to their site, as well as the show notes and the homework, as usual, on my website at www.catholichack.com. It's great to be back with you again this week as we take up the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem, part two. Last week, we started this discussion looking at Jesus in the light of the new King Solomon bringing with him a new priesthood getting rid of the corrupt priesthood in the temple and bringing about the correct priesthood, the priesthood of the firstborn. So that was last week's episode, and you can find that on my website at catholichack.com. This week, we're still going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21, but now we're going to bring about uh, the, the connection to the Feast of Tabernacles. We're also, hopefully, if time permits, get into all the beautiful uh, prophecy that's being fulfilled in Jesus Christ from the book of Zechariah, specifically chapters 9 through 14. So we have a lot of ground to cover Let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All praise and glory be to you, Almighty God, our King Messiah, our King of Peace, who comes riding on a donkey as we shout and proclaim, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
we ask, dear Lord, to enter into the mystery of Holy Week. And we pray for the conversion of sinners. May they repent of their sins and turn back to the King of Peace, who is eager to reconcile them. We pray for our material needs, Lord, all over the world. May God provide out of His abundance. We pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit this Holy Week, that we might enter into the mystery of the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord with a depth that is beyond human understanding. May it transform us, Lord. May it convert us, Lord. And may it revitalize our faith. We pray for the courage to go forth and to make disciples of all nations, knowing that you are with us until the end of the age. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we're going to recap Palm Sunday. The passage from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. In verse 1, we see how Jesus comes to the house of fruit, or the house of figs, on Mount Olives there. The Mount of Olives, that's Bethpage. It's very specific that it's the house of figs, or house of fruit. Why? Because we'll see how Jesus will curse the fig tree as a way of proclaiming judgment upon that house that did not bear fruit, okay? (laughs) The evil shepherds of the people in Jerusalem. In verse 2 of Matthew 21, we see how Jesus tells his disciples, two of them anyway, to go to the village opposite you and to find there a donkey and a colt and to bring them right? And he says, if someone says, why are you taking these? Then tell them. And he goes in verse five there, he quotes from Zechariah 9.9, tell daughter Zion, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. It's a king of peace. And so the disciples bring the donkey and the colt to our Lord. And then Jesus is placed on this donkey, right? Uh, As we showed last week, this was a a direct reference to how Solomon himself was anointed king and how he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on the donkey of his father, King David. But who placed Solomon there? Zadok the priest. Who puts Jesus on this donkey? His disciples. That's a priestly reference. We went on to show last week how Jesus proclaims the parables, proclaiming judgment upon the chief priests and how corrupt they were and how he would take away their priesthood, take away their authority, their place and position, their cathedros over the people and give it to a nation who would bear much fruit, right? Okay, so Jesus is placed on that donkey in verse 7. In verse 9 of Matthew 21, we hear shouts of Hosanna to the son of David as our Lord makes his way into the city. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus goes to the temple and there he cleanses the court of Gentiles, the court of nations. He proclaims them a den of robbers, these traffickers in sheep. How they, how they 
how they abuse not only the people who come to offer sacrifice, the people who come to enter into communion with God, but they prevent the Gentiles, the nations, same word there for both, the nations from entering into communion with God because that was the place in which it was designated for them to do so. And how could they be recollected to God amongst the chaos of all the, the bartering, the trading, the noise, the smells, and of course, all the inflation that was being imposed upon those who showed up. So Jesus cleanses this court, opening the way for the nations to come and enter into God's communion and proclaiming judgment upon the, the chief priests, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, right? In verse 14, the blind and the lame come and he heals them. That's very important, and we'll get to that. In verse 15 and 16, we see the chief priests are indignant at the wonderful things and that the children are crying out, and out of the mouth of babes the truth comes, right? In verse 19, he curses the fig tree for not bearing fruit, and it will never bear fruit again. But that is, as we said, uh, an, a profound image of what our Lord has come to do. In verse 23 of St. Matthew's Gospel, we read about how he is being tested for his wisdom. And as we said last week, this reminded us of how King David was tested for his wisdom. And they came from all over to see this wise king. And so here we see the episode of the, the priests testing his wisdom, the Pharisees and the Sadducees all coming to test his wisdom. It's the three wicked shepherds of the people who come, and all three are turned away because he is more wise than King Solomon was. And so no matter how many traps they lay for him, he is always able to get out of it and turn it back upon them as a way of proclaiming judgment upon these shepherds and upon Jerusalem. Because 40 years later, the Roman army would come and decimate Jerusalem. And Josephus, the first century historian, he describes this to a detail that will almost turn your stomach. He talks about how, they, how women would eat their own children in hopes of survival. I mean, it was a gruesome, gruesome scene, and countless hundreds of thousands were slaughtered. And so that is the judgment that's placed upon this evil and corrupt generation, as Jesus will also say in Matthew's gospel. Okay, so that's the, 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 the recap of Matthew 21. Now I want to tie together for you the consummation of the Feast of Tabernacles and show how this plays into Palm Sunday. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is an eight-day festival. It's in the fall, and it's its intended purpose is to remember the journey of the people in the wilderness, how they lived in huts when they left Egypt in their exodus and on their way to the promised land, right? Now, I'm going to draw a couple of passages out of Taylor Marshall's book, The Crucified Rabbi. From page 158, Taylor Marshall says, quote, The tabernacles recalled Israel's 40 years of wandering in the desert of Sinai. The Feast of Tabernacles was also one of the three pilgrim festivals that obligated all adult males to journey to Jerusalem. The festival climaxed in an eighth day of rest, feasting, and solemn assembly, unquote. Now, 
couple of things here. One, notice that it said, uh, Taylor Marshall points out that this was one of the three feasts that uh, all adult males were required to come to. Now, in a future show, I hope to bring this out in greater detail because one of the very cool things that happens at these uh, three festivals is God commanded that this was required that they come to the very face of God, that they encounter the very face of God. And so what happened? The priest would bring the altar of the bread of the presence, this golden altar with these 12 cakes of bread and these little flagons of wine there, and they would carry it out, out of the inner sanctuary there, and they would have it in front of all the gathered, assembled people. All these these men who had to come down three times a year, this was one of them, and they would hold up this golden altar with the 12 cakes of unleavened bread, and they would proclaim, behold, God's love for you, unquote. I mean, how powerful is that? This is a Eucharistic prototype. This is an image that is so beautiful and so grand, and I hope to dive deep on that subject in a future show. Now, the same Feast of Tabernacles was used very precisely and strategically by King Solomon when he dedicated the first temple. Okay, Dr. Scott Hahn, from his book, A Father Who Keeps His Promises, talks about this event in relation of his parallels between the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and the, the presentation or the consecration of the first temple under King Solomon. He shows their similarities. On page one, or I'm sorry, page 53, rather, of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, Dr. Hahn says, quote, A similar pattern is evident in the biblical account of the construction of Solomon's temple, which he rushed to complete in seven years and chose to dedicate in the seventh month during the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted exactly seven days. To top it off, Solomon's prayer of dedication was composed of seven petitions, unquote. Seven, 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 very much in line with Genesis and its creation account, as well as the account of how Moses was commanded by God to construct the tabernacle in the wilderness according to the same pattern. But what of the eighth day, right? In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 66, we are told, quote, On the eighth day, he, King Solomon that is, sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart, for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people, unquote. So remember that. We're going to come back to that again here in just a little bit. On the eighth day, the king sent them away, and they were joyful in heart. Okay, so that's the Feast of Tabernacles. King Solomon, the king of peace, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he uses this Feast of Tabernacles, the eight-day festival, to consecrate the temple. On And well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there is so much detail there that we'll talk about hopefully here in a minute. Now, the Feast of Hanukkah is another Feast of Tabernacles. You see, Judas Maccabeus, he kicked out the Greeks, right? He was able to, 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 uh, to conquer the Greeks and recapture the temple. And he used the same pattern of the Feast of Tabernacles to create a new eight-day feast, which celebrated the retaking of the temple. And we read about this in 2 Maccabees chapter 10. 
starting in verse 1, going down to verse 8, says, quote, Now Maccabeus and his followers, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple and the city. And they tore down the altars which had been built in the public square by the foreigners, and also destroyed the sacred precincts. They purified the sanctuary and made another altar of sacrifice. Then, striking fire out of flint, they offered sacrifices after a lapse of two years, and they burned incense and lighted lamps and set out the bread of the presence. And when they had done this, they fell prostrate and besought the Lord that they might never again fall into such misfortunes. But they, if they should ever sin, they might be dis disciplined by him with forbearance, and not be handed over to blasphemous and barbarous nations. Verse 5. It happened that on the same day on which the sanctuary had been profaned by the foreigners, the purification of the sanctuary took place, that is, on the twenty-fifth day of the same month, which is, which was, rather, Shislev. Verse 6. And they celebrated it for eight days with rejoicing, in the manner of the Feast of Booths, remembering how not long before, during the Feast of Booths, they had been wandering in the mountains and caves like wild animals, therefore bearing ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. They decreed by public ordinance and vote that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year." Unquote. That was the Feast of Hanukkah. You see, Maccabeus wanted to reconsecrate the temple, just like King Solomon did, during the Feast of Tabernacles. But he didn't want to wait ten more months to, to, to do that. So instead, he created a new eight-day festival called the Feast of Hanukkah. And he commanded that it would be celebrated every day forever, right? Or every year, rather, forever. So, we see those parallels. Did you catch in verse 7 the palm branches, the, the shouts of, of hymns and thanksgiving to God who had given success? This is a reference to Psalm 118 that we read last week. The Hosanna, save us, give us success, O Lord, as they proclaim that for Jesus who rode into Jerusalem up to the very temple where he would purify the holy place, just like Maccabeus there in verse 7. Now, so I'm already getting ahead of myself. Christ is the fulfillment of both the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Hanukkah. He is a new king of peace who comes to the temple with a new eight-day festival. You see, it was eight days from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Do you think that's a coincidence at all? No, of course not. There are no coincidences in Scripture. This was intended. Why? Because he wants the people to see him for who he is. The King Messiah promised from the prophets and the law. So many centuries ago, he is the perfection of it all. And so just like King Solomon, who uses the eight-day festival to dedicate the temple and to, to bring about a sacrifice and a feast, so too does our Lord. Use an eight-day festival to bring about a purification of the temple and a new temple in his body with a new sacrifice. 
You see, Solomon's own name means peaceful one, right? He is Shalomo. He is peaceful one. Now, if we read St. Paul in Ephesians 2.14, he says, quote, For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, unquote. The dividing wall of hostility, that is a reference to the wall in in the temple dividing the court of the Gentiles to the court where the Hebrew males could enter. There was a a doorway that separated these two uh, courts, and a sign hung on the Gentile side that said something to the effect of, you pass through this door? You do so at your own risk because you're going to be killed and your blood will be on your own hands. You see, it's the dividing wall of hostility. Do not dare pass through these walls. We will kill you, was the message that the Hebrew people had for the Gentiles, the nations. The same word, Gentile and nations. Think of Abraham and the promise God made that he would make many nations out of him. Gentile and nations. Do you think God's intention from from the beginning was to bring about a, a family reunion with all mankind? I argue it is. Now, uh, we see that that Solomon, the king of peace, is also the king of Jerusalem, which happens to be an interesting name, Jerusalem. Salem comes from Shalom, meaning peace. Jeru comes from God will provide, coming again from Abraham on Mount Moriah, offering up his son, and God provided the ram instead. That prophecy that God would provide himself, the Lamb of God, which he does in Holy Week, as we are about to experience. And so King Solomon, the king of peace, is the king of the peace that God will provide. And now David... The son of David, Jesus Christ our Lord and Messiah, truly is the king of peace, who brings about peace of all mankind, knocking down the dividing wall between Gentiles and Jews, the Israelite people, right? So I want you to see the perfection there. On Palm Sunday, okay, no, let me back up here. On the first day of, of the Feast of Tabernacles under King Solomon, What happens? The very presence of God, the Shekinah, the glory cloud, comes and fills the sanctuary. So much so that the priest had to leave. We read about that in 1 Kings 8, uh, uh, verses 10 and 11. What about the first day for Jesus? Palm Sunday. What does Jesus do on Palm Sunday? He enters into the temple and he cleanses it. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And here we see God's presence in the temple, purifying it, cleansing it, sending out the traffickers, the traitors, the money changers. Like those priests who had to evacuate, we see these traffickers evacuate the temple. See that image? See that parallel, that illusion? Jesus cleanses the court. Why? So that they, the Gentiles, can as well enter into God's communion because he desires to bring about that communion. Okay, on the eighth day, what happens? What does King Solomon do? Remember 1 Kings 8.66? He sends away the people and they are filled in their heart with joy. What about Jesus? On his eighth day, 
Easter Sunday, Jesus' angels send away the women. Matthew chapter 28, verses 7 and 8, quote, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Lo, I have told you. Verse 8, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Jesus, too, sends them away on the eighth day, filled with joy of heart. Not just joy, great joy, right? So again, a parallel to King Solomon. He is the new Maccabeus in a certain way. He is bringing back a retaking of the temple. Like Judas, who conquered the Greeks and took back the temple, cleansed the temple, casting out the idols, holding an eight-day festival of lights, an image of the Feast of Tabernacles, and offers a sacrifice once again, so too does Jesus, riding into Jerusalem triumphantly, taking back the temple, cleansing it, casting out the traitors like the idols and the traffickers of sheep and pro- who profane the very house of his father. Proclaiming judgment on these evil shepherds and their corrupt ways, Jesus brings back the light upon this darkness that has befallen the people. Taylor Marshall, in his the book Crucified Rabbi, goes into great detail uh, about the Feast of Tabernacle and showing how it is a great link between uh, the Feast of Tabernacle and Palm Sunday. He talks about this at the bottom of page 160, going to 161, says, quote, Christ also seems to have mapped the symbolism of tabernacles over the last week of his Passion, Moses commands that on the Feast of Tabernacles, you should take for yourself on the first day the fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook. The events of Palm Sunday, and the account of Christ cursing the fig tree of, uh, for its inability to bear fruit, seem to point to the ceremonies involving fruit and palms on the Feast of Tabernacles. The eight days of Holy Week ended with the resurrection of Christ's body, a kind of dedication of the true temple. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he spoke of the temple of his body. That's from John chapter 2, verses 19 and 21. So, even Taylor Marshall points out these connections, and I want you to dive deep on those. That's the Crucified Rabbi. I'll link to it at catholichack.com. Now, as we said in uh, back in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus quotes from the book of the prophet Zechariah. And chapter 9, uh, verses 9 and 10, he says, quote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the fowl of an ass. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Unquote. Notice the striking contrast from the peaceful king on a donkey and the war chariots of Ephraim. Doesn't that remind you of Solomon on the donkey and his brother Adonijah with the chariots and the, the general and the army? We talked about that last week, an intended reference there. 
And so Jesus comes riding on a donkey, a man, a king, a Messiah of peace. Notice the dominion of this King Messiah from the river, right? I suggest to you that this is an allusion to the river of life that flowed from the side of Christ. This is baptism. I wish I could get into greater detail, but I can't. Think of the woman at the well, right? There's so many other references. How about to the ends of the earth, from the river to the ends of the earth? Does this remind you of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? Quote, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. So his dominion goes to the ends of the earth. If you look at Zechariah chapters 9 through 14, you will see uh, an awesome, awesome prophecy come to perfection. In chapter 9, we see a king messiah riding in peace, bringing the blood of the covenant, setting the captives free from the waterless pit, bringing about a new bread and a new wine. Does that sound like anybody you might know? Namely, Jesus Christ, who upon his death entered into the the the, the bottomless pit of Sheol to set the captives free, as St. Peter says in his epistle. In chapter 10 of Zechariah, we see the people wander like lost sheep because their worthless shepherds have abandoned them. And the king's anger rages against the worthless shepherd because he becomes the cornerstone. The shepherd becomes the shepherd of a doomed people to take back what they have stolen. This is our King Messiah, come to us triumphant, riding on a donkey, a king of peace, bringing with him judgment, bringing with him the resurrection to life which gives us life. That's powerful. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.